0: Grab a seat here, and we'll get started. So, good morning, and welcome to the firehouse. Good morning, and welcome to the firehouse. Hey, hey. Um, let's see. I agree with Jeff. You know, I'm glad everyone made it here. You know, keep your eye out for someone who, who makes it here in an hour, but um, hopefully we'll, we'll be done within an hour, right? Um, uh, I was here at the setting up for or the, the setup team and got here a little before 8, at 8 o'clock. There was absolutely no one else here, and, uh, I was like, oh goodness, the whole setup team missed daylight savings. But, <laughs> you know, like, 8.01, there were like 10 people showed up. So, uh, it was good. I was a little nervous. Um, I think of, uh, you know, there's a softball meeting after this today, and we're gonna get some more instructions. I, Jeff said, you know, both teams are fairly competitive. Um, I'm not on Jeff's team. I think he was alluding to my team being the fairly competitive part of it. I don't know. I, I, I don't buy any of that stuff. Jeff takes a survey and comes away not thinking he's that competitive, you know. know, Let's just do a show of hands. How many of you think Jeff is competitive? I mean, you know, uh, where is he at? I don't know. There's no question on that. I don't think. But anyways, Edward, I'm glad you guys are here this morning. We look at Mark chapter 7. Uh, we're going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll uh, just jump into this chapter together here. So um, let's just bow our heads and just ask God to um, meet us here. Uh, Lord Jesus, we do, uh, we do thank you for this morning. We thank you for getting us up and rolling um, one hour earlier than we normally would. And uh, God, we just ask that you would meet us here. Lord, I pray that you would open our ears to hear from you. And no matter where we are in life, no matter where we are in our, our journey of faith, help us to hear from you personally today. God, I just pray you would be teaching each one of us as we look at some very, uh, some very critical and just significant things as it relates to the Christian life here. Lord, help us uh, catch our attention here for the few minutes we have together. Um, and we just turn this time over to you in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Alright, so um, Mark chapter 7, it's on page 997, if you have one of these uh, house Bibles uh, near you, feel free to turn there with me. You know, there's really three sections we're going to look at, it, and really a lot of what we're going to look at occurs in this first this first section here. And so, um, we'll, uh, let me see, we're going to break this first section into two parts. Um, Let me go down to verse 13 to start us off here. So, chapter 7 and verse 1 here. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a, a ceremonial washing holding to the tradition of the elders when they come from the marketplace they do not eat unless they wash they observed many other traditions such as the washing of cups pitchers and kettles uh, so the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say, If a man says to his father and mother, Whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is Corbin, that is a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his. Father and mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your own tradition, and uh, that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. So, we're going to stop and just look at this first section here. Um, again, you have a kind of get the the picture that Jesus is off, and, and this kind of entourage of Pharisees says, "Let's go hunt. Let's go look for Jesus. Let's go prove our case against." And we already know. He's off his rocker. And let's just kind of go get a little more data here. And they were going just to kind of prove the case that they had against Jesus. And sure enough, they found something that they were looking for just by looking at the disciples real quickly here. But this whole section, I think it's... um, we're just going to look at the heart of this section. I think it relates to the tradition of man versus the Word of God. The, the commands of God is mentioned several times. Traditions of man is mentioned like three times in this passage. They, they gave priority and precedence over the traditions of man, their traditions, uh, over the very commands of God and the Word of God. And there's some lessons that we need to... Uh, come away with from this year. Um, do I have a clicker? Yes, I do. All right. Go ahead and do some... Uh, let see. Hopefully, number two is the right one? Two. Two. Three. No, two. Um, the March Madness upon us. So you guys know that, right? Today is a very special Sunday. Selection Sunday. It's um, the first century church did not celebrate it, so we are starting to celebrate it now. Um <laughs> But Noah, you guys do know who made it in already to the big dance, right? Who? Not the team I was thinking of. Someone else, even better. CSU, we don't know yet. Oh, what was that? New Mexico State. Yes! Watch out! Watch out! New Mexico State, all the way. You have to be really careful when you do these brackets because anytime you show personal preference for some team like New Mexico State, you know, your hopes and dreams get crushed, you know. So you gotta go with the statistics here. That's the way to do it. Defense wins games, right? Okay, anyway. Back on to the subject here. Uh, Word of God versus the traditions of men. You know, we're gonna, we're gonna really, we're gonna look at the, a few things here, you know. The Pharisees and some of the people of the time fell into a major error, and that error was elevating the traditions that had been passed on to them, the traditions that they had come up with in some ways. Um, they they had elevated those above the Word of God. And you know, I think we're gonna look at a couple steps here that would help safeguard us against the same error the error of putting traditions and the thoughts of men in front of the Word of God. And so here's a few safeguards we're gonna look at related, you know, specifically to this passage. Here's the First one is this, you know, and maybe it's obvious, but, um, but I think it's not as obvious. In some ways I say I'm preaching to the choir, but in some ways the choir in this culture, the choir is not the same as the choir used to be in days before now, in times and generations before this generation. And we must believe that the Word of God is really the Word of God. You know um, uh, that may sound simplistic, but I just think it's not to be taken for granted in this day and age. You know, the Word of God—it means that it's actually God's words to us. That God has spoken; He's revealed His thoughts to us, and that is what we have. These are not just uh, the collections of man—you uh, know, different different recordings and quotes of men. This is the, the the Bible claims that it is the revelation of God to mankind. And do you see it that way? This verse here, a great verse on this is 1 Thessalonians 2.13. It says this, We also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. You know, the Bible claims to be the revelation, the unique revelation of God to mankind. Um, we need to decide: Do you believe that or not? The Bible is under more attack, more criticism, more ridicule today in, in the United States, than I think it has ever been in the United States. Um, another verse here: Second Timothy three sixteen. All Scripture is God breathed. It's from God. It's God-inspired. It's not man's ideas. It's not man's thoughts. It's God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. But we have to decide if we really believe the Word of God is the Word of God. Because, see, um, you know, there. I'll you know, we'll put the sub here. You know, that what it means, though, is that there's, there is nothing higher. There is no other higher authority, no other higher revelation than God revealing His thoughts to us in the Bible. You know what? There's not even a parallel to it. Sometimes people will say, well, you know, the, the wisdom of the early church fathers parallels that of the New Testament. And that's baloney. You don't find that in the Bible. But it's a danger that you will face, you and I will face. Some will say, well, what we can discover from science and creation uh, is a testimony that parallels what we see revealed in the Scripture. That is not true. And there's a danger there. If you start getting into interpreting what does creation say to you? We've got the written word, thoughts, opinions of God right here. Do you hold them as such? Because if you don't, you might fall into the same errors that these religious people did. They had a lot of traditions and thoughts of men that they elevated. As a matter of fact, one of the problems um, that they had in this age, this, this day and age where Jesus was, was that um, They elevated, you know, they had the written law. The written law is what we know as the Old Testament. They had it recorded here. They had that back in Jesus' days. They had things that were recorded in the scrolls, and that was the written law. But they also had another layer of law, which was the oral law. And in Jesus' time, what had happened was um, oral law had actually become a higher authority than the written law. And there's you can look at different quotes of rabbis of the time um, that had things that just said, "Hey, you know, uh, it's one thing if it's in, if it's written, but it's a whole nother level of sin if it was orally uh, oral law." And, and that's a big danger. So they went to test Jesus to see if he would validate their oral law or, or not. And he really blows them out of the water when it comes to their oral law versus the commands of God, the Word of God. And we've got to make sure we have that same uh, safeguard in our lives here. The next thing we have to watch out for is, um, you know, we need to watch out for spiritual or church traditions that, that either contradict the Bible or they have no basis in the Bible. We've got to watch out for that because some of the traditions they had were... So maybe well well intended, um, the idea of washing your hands. I mean, there's places where it talks about how a priest, if he was ministering in the in the holy place, in the tabernacle, that he would have to wash his hands and his feet. But then you can kind of extrapolate that. Well, you know, the priests have to do that. We're kinda of like priests as well. And instead of just when you go into the temple, we're kinda of like his priests all the time, so I we'll wash our hands and our feet all the time and it makes sense, right? seems like a good thing, but um, but they were making up things. They were going beyond what was written, um, pulling out traditions. And now we have to watch out for some of that in our own day and age. I've got a few examples to think about here. Um, You know, some modern day examples. One of them is this. Maybe you've heard this before. There's a a tradition, a church tradition that says if you're going to serve God as a pastor, you know what you need to do? You need to go to seminary. You've got to have seminary training to be a pastor. Well, duh, we all know that. It's like tradition, right? That's what you do. Except for, if you try to find that in the Bible... What you, you don't find that. you know Jeff alluded to this last week as well in his teaching but um, when you look at the requirements for a pastor there's a whole chapter um, 1 Timothy chapter 3 Titus chapter 1 1 Peter chapter 5 they have requirements on, on what it takes to be a pastor and there's only one place that even alludes to the idea that you should be able to teach is what it says you're able to teach which I think is uh, it's implying the idea that you're not able to teach something unless you're living it but some would say, To be able to teach means you've got to go get seminary training. Um, But we look at the guys that Jesus launched the New Testament Christian church with, and it was not the the trained, the educated ones. It was, in most ways, except for Paul, uh, it was the, the ordinary guys. The guys that had spent time with Jesus to let him train their thinking into the Christian life and uh, and he handed over the church to them. And so we just have to watch out for that. Sometimes people like that you've got to have seminary training. But that's not true. You can go to seminary and you can actually come away with, uh, you know, there's no guarantee you're going to get character that's listed in the New Testament requirement. There's no guarantee you're going to come away someone who prays for others. There's no guarantee you're going to come away a person of uh, personal Purity. You can go to school and take a lot of classes and you could be, you know, an enslaved to pornography but see the requirements for pastors would prevent you from serving in a New Testament church, one that's operating by the Bible. We have to watch out for that. Another thing we have to watch out for, another tradition, maybe sometimes it's a pet peeve of mine, and if you're new with us and a visitor, you know, I'll give you grace like once maybe, but uh, if you start calling calling me Pastor Rich, I'm going to figure out what your occupation is and I'm going to start calling you like, you know, Architect Miller or, you know... Good to see you too, Accountant Macintosh. You know, um, uh, we we don't do that. Why is it we don't do that in any other profession? We don't call Engineer Erwin. We don't say you know Webmaster Weeman. You know if he uh, if he tries to get you to do that on your small group, call him on it. You know, um, but why do we do? Why do we think pastors? It's a good thing. Pastor rich. You know, or in some cases they call you, you know, Father. I remember when I was in church growing up, I had a Father Father Bird. His last name was Bird. They called him Father Bird, and there was Father Taylor, and I know someone had a uh, goes to a church. There was Father George, and it just why why do we give titles like that? Because as a matter of fact, Jesus specifically said, "Hey, look, these guys, you religious people, you're into titles, you're into the honors." As a matter of fact, here's, Jesus said this. He said, "You're not to be called Rabbi." Uh, some translations say you're not to be called teacher. You have only one master and you're all brothers. Do not let anyone on earth call you father. For you have one father. He is in heaven. Nor are you to be called uh, this one teacher. For you have one teacher, the Christ. Um, one translation says you're not to be called leader. It's all these titles. Now it's not saying that, well, oh, you know, my kids can't call me father. Justice, do not call me father. Shame on you. No, it's, it's the idea of a title. Father Thatcher. Rich, there's this idea of an honor that comes with it. And Jesus said, "Hey, look, we don't do that. Your brothers, your brothers and sisters, you want to call me brother Rich? Great, I'll call you brother or sister, whatever your name is. That's cool. It, that works. But there's some circles where it's like this elevated thing designed to puff you up. Hey, pastor, so and so." Yes, uh, yes, con- congregant so-and-so. I mean, there's, um, it's just, it that that's a tradition, though. It's very common. But around here, you'll find we're trying to not, uh, we try not to do those things that are not in the Bible, that there's no biblical basis, or they even go so far as to contradict uh, what Jesus said should happen. We've got to watch for that. Other things, crosses. I don't know if you look around here, you don't see many crosses, do you? Uh, we've actually taken criticism before the church because people have asked, where are your religious objects in this place? And we go, I never thought about it, but we don't have too many of them floating around. There's a little cross on the table back there, I think, unless someone took it. Um, but, you know, nowhere in the Scriptures, nowhere in the New Testament, does it say you should have a cross at your service. It doesn't say that at all. Jesus said, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me, but, you know, if the disciples had understood that, literally, they'd all been walking around these big wooden crosses and, and that's not what they did. They knew it was a life, of, a life living, uh, that would be a, shame, a shameful thing in the eyes of the world. To have a cross is, um, is a shameful thing in the eyes of the world. And when you take a stand for Jesus, many will look, look down on you for that. But that's the idea of a cross. We don't have crosses around here and, Uh, I'm not opposed, it's not like we're opposed to it, but my point is the Bible does not require you to have a cross. Some people have not come back to this church because they did not see any crosses. There's no requirement for that. I think crosses are cool. Um, You know, we've got a big cross, I think, in someone's garage that we haul around from time to time. I think for Easter it would be cool to have it sitting up here. I've often often thought, you know, if there's a way to cast a shadow to make a really cool looking cross right here, we're not opposed to that, but we're also not required to have one either, you know. So uh, how do you feel about that? You have traditions, things that you expect that you don't find in Scriptures. We need to make sure, you know, our heart is to be a New Testament church. New Testament Christianity on fire is one of the mottos at the firehouse. And so we're really striving to keep in line with what the Bible teaches. You know, sometimes people say you need to, you know, practice communion more often, things like that. You know, we do things we see in Scripture where it's commanded. You know, we try to do that like it's commanded. Other places, there's examples. Other places, there's principles that are great to apply but they're not requirements Uh, when I was finishing preparing this yesterday out in the cafe I thought it was really cool I was sitting in the cafe the sun was setting and the sun started shining on a no parking sign outside there and it started reflecting in through our glass windows and what did it do on the wall projected this really cool cross and the sign was flickering in the wind and this cross was just kind of I just thought that's really cool now we need more crosses like that around here um, I took a picture of it I can, I can put it on the web you guys don't believe me um, but, but anyways we have got to watch out for these traditions that have no biblical basis some other examples we have to watch out for another thing we have to watch out for is Gotta watch out for being anti religious, anti traditional. Sometimes people go, Yeah, I hate tradition. That's just dumb. I'll do anything that's not traditional. You know, and that's. That's not the same thing as living by the Word of God. You know, there's things you can do like sometimes people think, well, around here, we, we don't dress too formal. It's not that we're opposed to it. We just don't think it's required. In a lot of ways, we try to cater to those that don't have a church background. But, you know, we have to watch out where, you know, someone goes, well, you got a, you got a nice white shirt and a tie and that seems very religious. It's like a Mormon and, you know, we don't want to be like that so we're going to wear raggedy clothes and never shave our hair or, you know, clean up. Well, the goal is not to be anti-religious or anti-traditional. The goal is to be biblical. Um, you know, we've had times where we were a part of a church. A number of us up in Fort Collins were part of a church called Rock. It was really kind of a church for the unchurched. And uh, one of the things that we developed as a part of the Rock was we had, a um, during the worship times, during the worship nights, we had a, a pretty wild and crazy mosh pit. You know, mosh, the anti-traditional. You guys don't mosh in your church? Well, we do. Um, And it was, you know, it has some very interesting dynamics. You know, the the spirit of it sometimes uh, was kind of like, you know, I'm knocking people down for Jesus. (laughs) You know, and uh, but we pick them back up, you know, um, the things like that. We we did as a pastor There was Sometimes we had to correct the, the moshing for Jesus idea It was definitely not traditional And sometimes not even biblical And so we have to watch out The goal is not just to be anti-traditional Anti-religious We do have to keep some boundaries And really Jesus said it's about the commands of God And you know What are some commands That, that we know we should be obeying What are some of the commands We've talked about around here What's the greatest command Love God with all your heart Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. What's the second greatest commandment Jesus taught? Love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus went on to even go further. Love your neighbor as yourself. I kind of love myself. I kind of love you. Well, oh, that's good. Um, but Jesus said, hey, look, now here's the deal. I've got an even higher bar for you that call yourselves disciples. Here's the deal. Love, love one another like I've loved you and that's an even higher bar and you know, sometimes we're like wow, do, you, do you cross your hand? do you have a cross around here do you mosh or do you not mosh um, yeah, do you love others like Jesus loves you how did he love us some of you I heard practicing a verse this morning Romans 5, 8 anyone know that verse a couple of you guys have heard it God demonstrates his own love for us in this: while we were still sinners Christ died for us while we were still sinners Christ died for us do you ever get a place as a Christian where you go, I don't have to love that sinner. They are now no longer qualified for my love. You know, Jesus never did that to us. Could you imagine if He did that to us? We'd be hosed still, you know. We'd be headed to hell. But He died for us even while we were sinners. Is that how you're loving your roommates? Are you making something else a bigger deal than the commands of God? Because you've been commanded to love others like Jesus has loved you. What's a big deal in your life? Let it be the command of God. What's another command we have? Um, Mark 16, 15. Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. How many of you just love getting out and preaching to people and sharing the gospel? How many of you have good thinking of why you don't have to obey that one? You know, Jesus gave an example to the Pharisees. They said, hey look, it's, the Bible says honor your father and mother. Um, and... You know, if you curse them, we're going to kill you. You know, there was some pretty straightforward teachings, but we have some commands that are pretty straightforward and they came up with this system of hey look if you say all your money is dedicated to God then you don't have to give it to your parents cool keep your money gain interest on it be wealthy and you don't have to give it to your parents and they had this whole system they designed that's supposed to be like you know putting God first over your parents but he said hey look I told you to honor your father and your mother and they found a way around that but sometimes we find a way around the really clear commands of God it is crystal clear that you and I need to be sharing our faith, being witnesses. Um, what thinking do you have that gets you around that? Because you're probably wrong. And we need to watch out for the same errors as the Pharisees here, you know? So um, it's about the commands of God. It's not just about being anti-traditional. What else do we have here? We've got to watch out for, whoops, um, I think I passed up a tradition or two. Um, do we have a point four? Because I've got one here. Um, Yes, there we go. Good. Another thing we have to watch out for is Jesus talked about the traditions of man, and in some ways that specifically applies to the spiritual traditions that they had and things they created. But I don't think it excludes the traditions, cultural traditions. We have traditions that are kind of projected on us from our culture. And I think Jesus would say, hey, look, is it the Word of God or is it any other man's thoughts because our culture tells us some things they thinks that are right or wrong and I believe many of them are in direct conflict with the Bible. A few of them might be... Uh, oops, sorry. They're already up there. Things like divorce. You know, there was a time in our culture divorce was not a common practice. It was not very acceptable. It was kind of... You know, I had um, grandparents that uh, they got divorced and, and back in that day and age that was not a common thing to do. Um, but you know, nowadays... The statistics say of all current existing marriages right now, 50% of them will end in divorce. And what do we say? You know, well, that's the way it is. Um, But that's not the way it is with God. God says He hates divorce. Anytime a divorce happens... It rips hearts and lives apart. It's such a painful, hurtful, broken thing. Now some people will say, well, it's better than if they stayed together. Yeah, but even better would be if two people really loved and carried out the the vows that they had made. That's what God wants. Um, But our culture says, hey, it's okay. More than that, it says, you know what? Sexual sin is not that big of a deal. Get with the 21st century. You know that might that 's old fashioned that 's like twentieth century, oh yeah boy you don 't sin before, you don 't have sex before marriage that 's so old fashioned. We need to decide, men and women, are you yielding to this, this culture, the tradition of man all around us, or are you running by the words of God? Because God thinks it's a big deal that you do not sin sexually outside of marriage. He's designed one place for you to be able to express love sexually, and that's between a man and woman who have made a commitment to be married. And the Bible teaches very clearly any other expression of a sexual relationship is sin. Before marriage, it's called fornication. After marriage it's called adultery. And the Bible's very clear on that. Are are you? Or have you kind of let the, the culture kind of boy it parallels the word of God and the Word of God kinda of old fashioned. Maybe, you know, we should just kind of throw that out. Beware. Beware of um, putting the word of God down and elevating the words of men. Um, Lone Ranger Christianity, I think one of the greatest deceptions this day and age is people who say, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Now, that's not an out-and-out lie. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. But to live as a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus Christ... You can't do it without a church. It's kind of like a a soldier that's not with the army. What's a soldier that's not connected to the rest of the army called? If they're supposed to be connected? AWOL. AWOL. Absent without leave. We've got so many Christians in this day and age that are absent without leave. There's a number of things in the New Testament you cannot even obey if you don't have a church family. You can't do certain things like tithe uh, to your place of worship. You can't do certain things like... um, follow or obey or submit to your pastors or their teaching you can't do things if you're not committed if you're just doing your own thing you can't obey half of the New Testament but this generation would tell you you don't have to go to church you know what's the big deal we don't confuse that with something that the scripture would tell us the last thing we have to watch out for is just um Personal traditions or convictions that are not in line with, with God's word. Um, you know, I try to think of some of these. Um, you know, sometimes we think about just some of the basics, like whether you should drink or you should not drink. You know, um, there's different convictions out there about that. So some people will say fermented beverage contains yeast. Yeast is always symbolic of sin in the Bible. Therefore, thou shalt not ever have fermented beverage. I.e., beer is bad. You know. Now there's the other side of it that goes, that God created beer, you know, see and taste that the Lord is good, one beer, six beers, it's all good, you know, um, what's the big deal? There's very clear scriptures on not getting intoxicated, not getting drunk. And so we, we had to watch out. I don't know if you've got personal convictions about things. you just got to make sure they're in line with what the Bible teaches. And sometimes it even says, hey, look, if you got a, a, a personal tradition or something, keep it to yourself, you know, so that you're not stumbling those around you. I know myself, when I first became a Christian, I was still figuring out some of these things. And, you know, I kind of had the thoughts of, I, I don't know, I came up with my own personal uh, Tai Chi or something like that. I don't even know if Tai Chi or Feng Shui or Feng Shui or I don't know those words but but I know in my in my house I had I had like a bookshelf, and I had you know Christian books were like on the middle shelf uh, non Christian books were on the bottom shelf, of course, and the Bible was on the top shelf because I wanted to honor the Word of God, obviously the Bible's on the top shelf is the Bible on the top shelf in your house? Well, that would be silly if it was because uh, you know the bigger deal is, are you living by the word of god it doesn 't matter if you put it on the ceiling or put it on the floor if you 're not living by it you know that's what God cares about not how you arrange things in your bedroom or your house or whatever but just got to watch out for your own personal traditions I had a few of them that you know some people showed me you know, well here's what the Bible actually says and I go ah did not know that did not think of it that way it's a great idea let's do that uh, let's watch out for that but we have to make sure our traditions our convictions don't conflict with the scripture here so those are, uh, you know five things just related to making sure we're elevating the word of God and not letting the traditions of man break in here now we're going to look at the second half of this passage here we'll just keep reading um, and Jesus goes on it's kind of connected here but in some ways there's a, he brings up another issue here v- verse 14 and he says this um, again Jesus called the crowd to him and said listen to me everyone and understand this nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him rather it's what comes out of a man that makes him unclean After he had left the crowd uh, and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? It doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach. And then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He we went on. What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. so Jesus went kind of from the traditions of men uh, compared to the Word of God, and He shifted gears to... What goes on internally in your heart is really more important than the external appearance of things. And the Pharisees were very into the external appearances. They wanted to make a good appearance all the time. And Jesus was saying, Hey, God cares about what's going on in your heart. And we, we have to make sure we catch that. Um, you know, uh, clean hands. Versus, you know, this is something that I think this is really catches it here. But really what goes on inside your heart is The heart of the Christian life, what goes on inside your heart is the heart of the christian life it 's not so much about the externals the, the impressions the, the things that we do that people see. Um, God cares and sees what 's going on inside your heart, and that 's really what he wants you know and, and we have to watch out for things um, you know Jesus quoted from Isaiah there i just, I just can 't imagine you know I was trying to figure out how can we apply this you know in our own lives here but jesus was this guy's asked him a question, and he said um, Isaiah was right about you, um, you hypocrite. Um, you know, can, is there a spiritual way for us to do that today? I don't know. I tend to think you really want to be careful if you're going to be that strong. But he went on to say, you know, you honor me with your lips externally, but your hearts are far from me. And you kind of do this worship, but it's a waste of time because it's, it's a man-made deal. And we just have to watch out for that ourselves. You know, I was just trying to think of... Um, ways we can and now some of you might know this uh, how many of you don't have to raise your hand on this This it's a bible trivia question for you but um, how many of you know where to find the verse that says cleanliness is next to godliness anyone know where that is Good thing you're not raising your hands, right? Because you will not find that in the Bible. Um, but some people think it's in the Bible. That's why I didn't have you raise your hands. Because if you were like this, it would be embarrassing, right? Um, but uh, sometimes we think that way, though. Cleanliness, your outside cleanliness is right right up there next to godliness. Well, there's no verse on that in the Bible because, well, that's not what God thinks. You know, if your hands aren't clean and uh, you can still worship God from the heart, you can still love God. Generally, we would encourage you to wash your hands, you know, just, um, but it's not like, a, it's not like it's a, a moral issue if your hands are clean or not here. You know, we inspect hands before you come in the auditorium, especially for breaking bread. We just want to make sure. You know, that's, that's not what Jesus taught at all. He said, you know, it's, it's not what's going on in your heart. And We just have to make sure the things that we do, you know, in some ways we go, well, how does this apply to me? You know, we honor him with our lips, but our, our hearts are far from them. And, you know, I think there's different things we have to watch for. Um, um, you know, sometimes it's like uh, we can honor God in the prayer meeting, but during the rest of the week our hearts are far from Him. Or we can honor God by raising our hands Sunday morning, and, and yet the rest of the week maybe we don't even lift a hand sacrificially for, for anyone else. Um, we just have to watch out for doing things for show. You know, sometimes as a pastor we've had to address the situation. Each one of us has different ways that we express our worship to God. Um, occasionally, now, this hopefully doesn't relate to you. Maybe it does, and, and I'll be instructing you subtly here. Subtly here, but um, sometimes when it comes to worship, people have very charismatic, uh, dramatic ways of seeing worship and making symbols and doing things while you're, you know, and, and that's fine. Oftentimes, over my 12 years as pastor, we've seen a lot of different expressions of people wanting to worship God. But sometimes those people end up in the front row and uh, there becomes a little question of is the drama and the dancing and you know, is that really for God or is it for show? And what we've done as pastors is just simply say, hey look, we, we love that you want to do sort of interpretive dance type stuff during the worship time. But we'd ask that you do it at the back of the room because it won't get in the way of anyone. It's not like, you're not like making like symbols on the screen. You're not doing anything like that. And you know what I've found as a pastor, nine times out of ten when we've asked someone, hey, why don't you express yourself personally to God in the back row? A lot of times people don't show up again. Why? Because they want the front row. It's not putting on a show if you don't get the front row. I've seen people say, hey, that's cool with me. I just want to express my love to God personally. They don't care if it's in the front or the back. And and maybe that's you. And if you want to do, you know, I've corrected Greg Miller on this before. He wants to do interpretive dance, and I just say, Greg, the back of the room, buddy. Um, No, just joking. He's in Sunday school today. I told him I was going to pick on him. (laughs) So, you know, I think it's great. There's a lot of different ways to do that. But we have to be careful. Jesus said, hey, look, you really kind of go for the show. And in the heart, there's a real no-go going on there. We don't want to be like that at all. It's not about the show. It's about what's in your heart, you know. And we just want to make sure that that's the case. We've got to watch out for it. Because it's sure easy to give a better impression than what's going on on the inside. I love the song that we sang this morning. It's uh, We're trying to praise God from the inside out. From the inside out. You know, I think this is one area where Christianity is different than any other religion, any other philosophy, because a lot of religions, it's about the externals. You know, you get different externals to please your different God, and maybe your God requires praying certain times during the day, maybe your God requires you you beat yourself or you chant, or different externals. But Christianity is the one thing where... God wants to work from the inside. He wants to come. You know, if you think about the Christian message, uh, when you first come to Christ, well, usually the first thing that has to happen is you have to repent. And the repenting is when you've gotten pierced to the heart about your sin against your Creator. And it starts in your heart. And then faith. Where does faith occur? You know, it says, uh, confess with your, your mouth and believe. In your heart. Faith occurs in your heart. And when you come to believe in Jesus Christ, where does His Spirit come to live? He indwells your, your heart. And when He wants to get in your life, and Jesus, the Bible says that, you know, Jesus says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. Where does He knock to get into your life? Your heart. It's all about your heart. And if we get so into the externals and so into the impressions, and God just says, hey look, I want to have a relationship with you in your heart. I love this proverb that puts it like this. It says, um, right "There." It says Proverbs twenty-seven, nineteen. It says, "As water reflects a face, so a man's heart reflects the man." You look in the water and you see a reflection of who you are. You look at your heart. And we see who you are. I don't care how often you raise your hands. I don't care how cool you come across in the prayer meeting. God doesn't care about any of that. He says, I see your heart. And if you've got something going on externally that's different than what's going on internally, you're a hypocrite. you got to have consistency there. Now, I had someone ask me recently, well... If I've got these bad thoughts going on in my heart and things, is it better that I just kind of talk and I swear? You know, i got swearing going on in my heart. I should talk like that. I've got crude thoughts. Should I just share them? And on the one hand, to share that from your heart and share that appearance externally, you know what, that would be more consistent. But it would not be more Christ-like. You know, Christ-like is to have things going on in your heart uh, that are pure, that are loved, that are holy, and those show up externally. They overflow. Your speech overflows from your heart. You know, we can train our bodies to do certain things. We can train ourselves to not accidentally flip out a swear word on Sunday morning. And you can check your, your wall and see if you you know subscribe to that same thing on the Internet. Or in your households. You know, we can all train our speech here, but God says, you know, I know what's going on in your heart right now. And if you use that other word, you know, you either need to get rid of that or, or you need to just share it. And you know, you might cause some jaws to drop, but they might really know you for who you are. Now again, that would be more consistent, but not to be confused with being more Christ-like. Someone told me like, what if I just think a person is really ugly and I just say, I think you're ugly. Well, sure, that has some form of integrity, but that has nothing to do with love or Christ-like- Christ-likeness. There's times when the scriptures are really clear. Hold your tongue. You may think that it may be really going on inside, and that's sin on your part. And hold your tongue until you, you change your attitude, you know. We've got to watch out for, for that here. Um, But, anyways, where are we going with that? Okay, let's keep going here. I've got to be wrapping this thing up here. Now, here's another thing we need to think about is Christian life. Uh, Here's a list of things. Jesus gives us a list of things right here. This list that we go through, Mark is one of the unique ones that has this list, a pretty comprehensive list. And at the end of the list, he says... These things, you know, Jesus goes through all these, and these things I just, I suggest that you really don't have them in your heart. It's kind of not a good idea. You know, what does Jesus follow up this list by saying? He said, all these evils come from within your heart. Now, what we need to do is kind of check through the list and go, how many of these do I have in my heart? And do I think they're evil, or have I learned to coexist with them? A lot of these things we go, yeah, I knew about that sin. And I've had that sin for years. And I just kinda, we just kinda get along together and I don't think it's that big a deal. Unless I see it in my roommate's life. And then, that's, boy, I can't believe you have that sin. Me? I'm used to that. Um, we got to watch out for that because Jesus says these things are evil. And we're going to go through that list real quick here. Um, and this is, um, I've got this from the Amplified Bible. It really, uh, if you've got this list in front of you here, um, we just read it there, it's like verse uh, 21, 22, 23. But the Amplified kind of expands on some of these things. The first thing we've got to do if we're going to have a, a pure heart, a clean heart, We've got to, um, well, we've got to clean. Jesus told the, the Pharisees at one point, "Hey, look, you're into kind of cleaning the outside of the dish. Clean the inside. To us as Christians, clean the inside. Clean our hearts. First, we we've got to examine ourselves. What sort of junk do we've got? Do we have in our hearts? Jesus said, if you're going to go help another brother out, pull the speck out of their eye. Get the plank out of yours first. You and I, we've got to examine our hearts. In this list, here's the amplified version. Um, you know, it says, uh, let's see, out of men's hearts come base and wicked thoughts. You know, this just starts off with evil thoughts. One version says, uh, uh, but your thought life is evil. How's your thought life doing? It goes on to say the wicked thoughts, sexual immorality. Um, you know, this is a place where Jesus says, hey, if there's sexual immorality, if there's lustful thoughts in your heart, Jesus said that's evil. It starts in your heart and it's evil there. Now, of course we know when you express sin sexually with your body, we know that's wrong. But Jesus said, hey, it starts in your heart and it's evil even when it's there. He goes on to say, um, stealing, murder, adultery, coveting. You know, coveting says a desire to have more wealth. He goes on to say, dangerous and destructive wickedness, deceit, has unrestrained, indecent conduct, which is lewdness, is... um, you know, uh, indecent expressions of these lust, lustful desires. An evil eye or envy. Slander, which is evil speaking, malicious misrepresentation, abusiveness. Pride, or arrogance we see in the list there, um, is the sin of an uplifted heart against God and men. Foolishness or folly was in the list here. Did you know folly is evil? It says folly, lack of sense, recklessness, thoughtlessness. Um, we need to look through this list, and this is not even the entire list of things that we need to have our hearts cleaned out of, but it's a pretty good list to start with. You know, is there folly going on in your life, foolishness, thoughtlessness? What about um, deceit? You tend to kind of want to puff up stories to because you feel insecure and you want to impress others. Uh, lust, adulterous thoughts, all these things. There's a list you got to examine. Each one of us needs to examine ourselves. This was a challenge for me to go, you know, what? as a pastor, you do a lot of public things. You give a lot of appearances, but I feel like God was engaging with me. Rich, I want to make sure you're checking your heart here because you're going to do a lot of public things and I want to make sure it's in line with your heart. But we need to check our hearts and then we need to um, confess any sins that we find. How do we get cleansed from them? Um, there's a verse here. You share this, First John um, chapter 1, verse 9. But it just says this, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We need to identify these sins in our heart. And you go, you know what? This thought that's been kind of lingering in my heart for a while, I need to stop, I need to tag it, I need to identify it as evil. I need to confess it as sin to God and trust that He will... Cleanse me from, from all unrighteousness. And sometimes if you find uh, sins that continue, that are hard to break free of, you know what? We need to seek accountability. There's verses like James 5.16 that says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. Now we all know that's kind of spun out of control in some religions where you got to go confess to a priest. Well, this doesn't even say a priest here. It just says confess your sins to each other and, and pray for each other that you can overcome this, that you can get healed of this sin. Another place, Ecclesiastes, just says um, two are better than one. They have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him. If you've if got sins that are recurring that you need help on, get help. Talk to a pastor. If you need pastoral counseling, we're glad to be of service uh, if we can. And, or, or get a roommate to be an accountability partner or things like that. But, but you have to watch out for God is... Concerned about the inside of your heart. And and either you can get honest about what's going on there and get help and get proactive, or, you know, God has ways of exposing your heart in ways that would be a lot harder. You can either humble yourself or God will humble you. You know, I've been a part of situations before where people have certain things they were struggling with, they didn't want help. As pastors, we had to correct and correct. And eventually, I remember one of my first... Hard, hard conversations as a pastor 12 years ago I was with a guy that continued to sin related to alcohol, underage drinkers, things like that, and we just say, "Hey, you got to stop. You got to. This is breaking the law. It's it's wrong. There's different things, and we said, you know, you got to make a choice. If you're going to keep sinning like this, or you want to be a part of this church family, we had to use a, a passage in First Corinthians five. That's a really strong passage that just says, "Hey, look, certain sins. If you continue in them, um, you." You can't have both your fellowship, your church family, and these sins. We told this guy, and you know, we said, we've warned you, we've warned you, um, we're going to have to ask you not to be a part of this church. And it was a really hard conversation, and, but there was just things going on in his heart that he wasn't getting honest about. And you know what eventually happened? It was probably the next day after myself and a co-pastor had that conversation with him, the police came and arrested him because it was more than met the eye. There were things going on. He got found out. I'm pretty sure he's still serving time in prison to this day. Um, you got to get honest about what's going on in the inside, because God knows, and, and if you don't come forward with it, he's going he's gonna to humble you himself. There's two ways to go about it, and God wants to have a relationship with you in your heart. A real relationship, not a phony one, not putting on a mask where you have these impressions and you have your church lingo and... He wants to get down to the real you, the you that's reflected in your heart. And, and that's what we're all about at the Firehouse Church. We're about just trying to live out New Testament Christianity, just trying to put the Scriptures into action. We're not perfect, but we're trying to be honest with one another, trying to seek um, you know, accountability to help each other out here. And you know, I really think this is the heart of the Christian life. I believe this is one of the most important things to think about um, as we go through Mark here. Just uh, to really catch that God wants to have a relationship with you in your heart. He wants a pure heart, not a heart that's coexisting with all these things God calls evil. And so, anyway, we're going to close with that. We need to. Um, Get on our way to um selection Sunday here. So um, but you know the, the next two the next two passages there, you know, I think just brief they're they're just good ones to, to be thinking about our faith. Again, uh, this next one uh, there's a passage that talks about this woman. She was not Jewish, she was a Gentile, and it just talks about how her faith uh, set her daughter free from a demon. And we just have to remember again, our faith can affect other people. The last one there was just a, a healing where Jesus opened the guy's ears to hear and he loosened his tongue to speak. And um, we just need to know that God can open our ears, whether it's the first time as a believer or whether it's, we're a Christian that hasn't been hearing from God much. He can open our ears. He can loosen our tongue to speak for him and obey the commands of God. So let's just pray. Well, Lord Jesus, we do um, we do just thank you for, for your teaching. We thank you for how you designed the Christian life. God, I pray you would help each one of us um, just to be real, just to be honest. God, you know what's going on in our hearts. And, and some of the things we're comfortable with, you would call evil. You would call polluting um, and unclean. And, and God, help us to get honest about those things, to come forward before um, before you have to humble us. Help us to humble ourselves. And God, I thank you that you are able to change us from the inside out, that when we receive you, you say we become a new creation, and you you indwell our hearts, and you can empower us to live a life from the inside out, not just with rituals and religion, um, but with a relationship that starts in our hearts. Help us, Lord God, to to have a heart that's pure and and clean and, and loves you fully. We just ask this in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for coming uh, this morning here and we'll catch you um next week with Mark chapter eight. So